Well, church, it's good to be back again with you guys. Uh, if you're a first-timer or first time in a long time, we started a series uh, back at the beginning of the fall on the life of Jesus Christ from eternity past all the way to eternity still future. We're going to be continuing in that this morning, and uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 this morning. So if you have your Bibles want to go ahead and turn there, uh, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, this is going to be one of our last weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, and so I wanted to make sure that we're going to hit probably one of the, probably the second most quoted passage in all of Scripture um, this is one of these passages we're going to look at this morning that uh, you can actually hate Christianity and not believe in the authority of Scripture, and I promise you, you know this verse that we're going to be preaching on this morning. Anybody want to take a guess what it is, right, if you've peeked ahead at, at Matthew 7, 1? Judge not, lest you be judged. You know it already, right? Like I said, some of you hate Christianity. You already know that verse, right? I'm just kidding. But, like, uh, in fact, you Google this, right? You type in, uh, in Google and stuff. You say, the Bible says not to. This is the first thing that's going to come up right there, right? It says, the Bible says not to judge, right? This is, this is how you do sermon research here, right? Uh, okay. Like, we know what the Bible says not to do and what the Bible says about judgment. Actually, I'm going to say this, like Google's not the best researcher, by the way. You're noticing some of these things, you're going to go, eh, I don't think the Bible says that, right? Uh, the Bible does, says nothing about celebrating Christmas, so you're off the hook. Um, I know some of you guys were freaking out about that, probably. Like, no, you're allowed to celebrate Christmas. It happens to be the celebration of Christ's birth. I think that's a good thing to celebrate. Um, the Bible says nothing about voting. You're allowed to vote right there, right? And uh, arguing with fools, that may, you may want to hold on to that one a little bit. But like, my point is, like, we, we know what the Bible has to say about judging other people, right? Like, you don't even need to be a fan of Christianity to know what this passage says. In fact, I uh, told you last week about a philosophy professor of mine, Dr. Norwood. We would be in the middle of our ethics class all the time, and he would quote this verse literally just over and over and over again. He loved this verse. But we would be in this class, we'd be debating all these different moral ethics and things of that nature, things like uh, the ethics of war or sexual ethics or abortion or things like that. And we'd be going at it as a class, kind of debating all these different things. And, and eventually, at the very end, like right before we get to a conclusion, he would just throw out, now remember, folks, judge not lest you be judged. Like, like, it's okay to go pursue a direction, like, okay, here's, what, here's what's right and here's wrong, but you just can't actually land on anything right there, right? And so uh, it, was, it always frustrated me that that was kind of the case, but here's a guy who was not a believer by any stretch of the imagination, did not believe in the authority of the Word of God, and he knew Matthew 7, 1, like you would not believe. Um, I think one of the reasons for this is probably because the passage we're going to look at, like, it's going to seem like Jesus is affirming two values that our culture holds very, very dear to us today. Uh, number one is the privatization of religious practice. I referenced that a number of different times. It's this idea that religion is a private matter that you need to be able to keep to yourself. It's not something to be shared. It's not something that you impose upon anyone else. You believe it, but you hold it to yourself. It's one of the main things that people who are not evangelical have against evangelicals. We, we hold to a belief about God. We want to tell other people about it. We want you to also come to the same faith and, saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's cultural value number one. It's this privatization of religious practice. Um, the other value is that morality is a subjective matter of preference, and it's not this objective matter of truth, right? Like, we, we hear this all the time in culture and stuff like that, but it's, this, it's a subjective matter of preference and not this objective matter of truth and things like that. And so you can see where the tension is going to come from in this passage we're going to look at, right? Like, if, if, if religion is a private matter that should never be talked about or imposed on anyone else and morality is something that's subjective to you, then what right does anyone have to challenge someone else's personal decisions or behavior, right? And so that's going to be some of the tension that we're going to face a little bit in this passage. And so this is going to be easily one of the most widely quoted scriptures that you're going to hear in, around culture, but it's also going to be one of the most misunderstood passages around here too. Also going to be very, very relevant. 
right? You're going to hear some of these passages, and you're going to hear what Jesus has to say here. And which of us have not been on the receiving end of harsh criticism and harsh judgments from other people? I mean, maybe it's an in-law or a friend on social media or a neighbor or a coworker or something like that. We know the sting of being on the other end of someone's harsh judgments towards you. Um, on top of that, according to David Kenneman, about 85% of young people today believe that most Christians are hypocritical, and 90% of young people today believe that we're definitely judgmental. And so this is not one of these passages that we've absolutely mastered already as a church, right? This isn't one of these things that we've got to be like, hey, we're hitting home runs on this thing all the time. And so the questions that I want to look at today in this passage are, number one, really, like, what's, what's really Jesus talking about in this whole passage? And then number two, like how in the world do you and I hold on to a high view of truth and morality and at the same time the mission of God, which calls us to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, right? How do we hold on to a high view of truth and morality and the mission of God at the same time and not be judgmental people? And so that's what we're going to be jumping into this morning. And again, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, we're going to pick it up here in verse 1. You can go ahead and turn there. And again, if this is a first time or first time in a long time, this is a continuation of a sermon that we started a little while ago. This is a sermon on the mount, uh, started back in chapter 5. It's a continuation of a message that Jesus is preaching to a large number of people. Uh, he's essentially calling out the religious hypocrisy of his day. And what he's doing is he's raising the moral standard big time. And he's calling people to uh, holy and righteous living. And he's basically saying, okay, I know you religious people out there. I know that you thought you knew what righteousness was. And I know that you thought you were doing pretty well and you were walking in righteousness. However, true righteousness is not just the things that you do. It's not just church attendance. It's not just this, that, and the other. Um, it's everything that you're feeling inside. It's your motivations. It's everything that's going on deep inside your heart. And so he's basically just taking that to say, um, calling out the religious hypocrisy of his day. It begins in chapter 5, continues in 6 a little bit, and we're going to pick back up in that same thread here in chapter 7. Uh, so let's pick it up here together in verse 1. Here's what he says. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge other people, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured unto you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And then there's this little beauty here in verse 6. I love this one. Right? Do not give dogs what is sacred. Uh, don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them underneath their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. And so the same passage where he says, don't judge other people, he basically is calling some people dogs, some people pigs, and this, that, and the other. So, uh, okay, so what's he talking about in this passage, right? Uh, two immediate qualifications I just want to throw out there real quick. Number one, like, he's not minimizing morality, and he's not uh, saying that you and I need to turn off our brains and stop discerning between right and wrong. Okay, this is number one, like, this is what he's not saying that there's no right and wrong. He's not affirming moral relativism or anything like that. Keep in mind, the entire Sermon on the Mount is Jesus elevating the moral code. And he's saying, you thought you knew what righteousness was. You haven't even begun to attain righteousness. Like righteousness so far surpasses that of the Pharisees. It's not even funny. Right? So it's not just the things, it's not just the fact that you don't murder. It's about the anger that's going on in your heart. And it's about more than just the fact that 
that you've committed adultery. It's about the lust that's going on inside of your heart. It's not just the things that you do. It's so much more. It's all these different things in here. And when Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, he's speaking in very, very crystal clear language. There's, there's no relativism about it. Okay, and so relativism is this, is this common idea where truth and morality uh, are individually determined in the context of history and culture, right? It's this common idea today where truth and morality, it's individually determined and it's discerned in the context of, of history and modern day culture. And so it's not objective. It's not anything that's coming from outside of you that you submit to. It's not something that you discover. It's something that you as an individual uh, determine. And it's just not what Jesus is affirming here today, contrary to popular opinion, right? Evidently, this is not a minority opinion today. Uh, Gallup researchers came up with a study a few years back, figured out that 67% of Americans today do not believe in absolute morality. Uh, they don't believe in uh, moral absolutes or objective religious truth at all. And we're not talking about, okay, we believe that some things are absolutely uh, true, some things are not. We're talking about like 67% of Americans uh, do not believe in any form of objective, moral, or religious truth or anything like that. Uh, they all believe it's subjectively determined by the individual uh, in the context of history and, and, uh, and culture today and that, this, that, and the other. Um, evidently, it's not a problem that's just out there, right? It's 54% of all born-again Christians, they also believe. And so the numbers are very similar. About 63 64% of Americans believe in a God. However, uh, his truth this is not an objective way of understanding those kinds of things. And so my point is this is not really a minority issue. This is a thing that's collectively you see in your schools and in the college campuses uh, all around you and things like that. This is not a minority op opinion. Uh, prob part of the problem with it is that um, it, it finds its way of sneaking into our conversations in very, very subtle ways, right? And I think we, we know this today. It's a very, very subtle thing that we've come to understand. It uses language that we all agree with and we like, and we, these are good, positive words like tolerance, right? Is, this, is tolerance not one of our highest cultural values today? We all value that. It's a beautiful thing in as much as tolerance means that we need to recognize the differences in thought and in beliefs and in convictions, and yet in the middle of those differences, we need to tolerate those differences and treat people with love and respect, right? Like, who's going to disagree with that, right? It's a beautiful word, um, and, and we're all going to agree with that in as much as that's what it means. The problem is that today we use that word, and it's not necessarily what it means. What it's come to mean is a full acceptance of various beliefs, even contradictory beliefs, as equally valid and true. Right, And so it's a very difficult, subtle kind of a way that we use it. We say tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. Yay, I like that word. However, it's not how we actually mean it. Uh, same thing with religious pluralism today. You drive around town and you're going to see the coexist bumper stickers, which is the mantra of the 